members of both parties, they seem to keep missing the mark on this. They, they Many members are so fixated on providing amnesty to the illegal alien population here. There's a tendency among, you know, lawmakers to, to look at, you know, the basics of the problem, but not necessarily dig deep into, into crafting legislation that will address it. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. I've noticed many Americans and political pundits focusing their attention on the congressional midterms this November. With so many issues affecting our daily lives, it shouldn't be that much of a shock that Americans want to change from their elected representatives. A couple of issues on the forefront is immigration and border policy. With, with the record number of border encounters occurring at the southwest border and deportations being essentially frozen, there should be a, a call to stop the chaos e erupting at the southwest border. Hello and welcome to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. My name is Jason Pena, one of, FAIR research, one of FAIR's researchers, and I'm joined today by Preston Hennikins, FAIR's Government Relations Manager. Preston, let's kick this off to you. With the southern border being as chaotic as it is and a change of political parties in both chambers of Congress this November, is there some sort of roadmap for the 118th Congress to take where they can put an end to what's going at the southern border and build upon the progress that was made in, during the Trump administration? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's widely assumed that Republicans will control at least one chamber of Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, the House seems to be kind of a sure, as much of a sure thing in politics. Sure. The Senate, not so much, but it's still very much in play. And so, you know, what does that leave, you know, House or Senate Republicans in that new Congress, in the 118th Congress when they take over? One of the biggest issues, like you said, is going to be immigration. And so uh, something that FAIR was recently a part of was a coalition of 16 organizations and 12 uh, senior officials uh, within DHS under uh, the Trump administration, and this coalition has issued a set of priorities that Congress should take up uh, within the first weeks uh, of the new 118th Congress. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk about some of those uh, priorities today that, that really go beyond um, anything that's been proposed in Congress in, in the last you know five to ten years. You know, the first step that this coalition took, uh, again, which FAIR is a part of, is sending uh, a letter dated May 11th uh, to congressional leaders. And, and this letter outlines first the, the problem that we're facing. You know, we've seen over 2.8 million illegal aliens apprehended at the southern border um, under, you know, the first year of the Biden administration, we've seen the illegal alien population explode in this country. And that's directly a result of the policies that the Biden administration has put in place, uh, which I know we've talked about uh, at length on this podcast. And so what this letter does is it outlines really 10 in-depth priorities uh, that that we are calling on a future Congress to take up, uh, but I think what's what's crucial is that it's it's advocating for absolutely no amnesty whatsoever. I, I think, and we're going to talk about this uh, through the duration of this podcast. But you know, in the past, it seems so often that 
any time there is there are changes proposed to immigration, they have to be a part of this massive, <laughs> comprehensive immigration reform where you pair some sort of amnesty for the people who are living here legally mm-hmm. with protections, changes to law, that kind of thing. We saw this in 1986. We've seen this regularly since then. Uh, you know, we, we know about the Gang of Eight bills. Mm-hmm. We know about what happened uh, under in the first two years of the Trump administration uh, in that Congress where they tried to to offer changes to DACA recipients in exchange for some of these you know, changes to law. And so we are saying uh, and arguing forcefully that that approach does not work. Mm-hmm. We know it doesn't work. Uh, it always has benefited the illegal aliens getting, you know, their legal status. Whereas on the side, you know, the the long term effect, you know, the long term strategy of bringing in these changes, it's always watered down. They can be stripped out during the appropriations process, and so you're left with the amnesty, but with not much else. And so, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that is is really the purpose of this letter, and they're calling on on House Republicans specifically to to tailor one of their first bills as an immigration border security bill. And so, you know, a lot of these are things that we've talked about. Um, you know, ending the abuse of the parole authority, uh, changing. Uh, you know, what counts for asylum in this country by clarifying, for instance, that gang violence and domestic violence are not grounds for asylum. Those, right. are, th- those are things that happen, you know, they're horrible. They happen in every country on this on this planet. Uh, the United States is not immune from, from gang violence and from domestic violence. Uh, you know, it, it, clarifying that, um, you know, aliens who have traveled through multiple countries on their way to the U.S. to make an asylum claim, you know, certainly some of those countries they traveled through were safe. And so <laughs> it's things like this where, where we're getting to the root cause of the issue and saying, look, the root cause of the issue is not necessarily in, in Central and South America. Um, you know, there, there's, there's no amount of money we can spend to bring the economic conditions of those countries up to the level of the United States or exactly. Canada or the West. And so... What we're looking at instead are the issues in our own law, which is mainly our asylum system. I think, you know, it's too early to say this, Preston, but I think you really hit the nail on the head with, with everything going on. One of the other points that I, I noticed, too, that uh, this coalition is pushing for is closing the loopholes with the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act. Now, for our audience members who are un, who are unfamiliar with this, this was a law that was uh, – or excuse me, this was a bill that was signed into law in 2008 during the the waning days of the George W. Bush administration. And its its initial intention was to help curb the sex trafficking uh, of, of children. However, what this ended up doing was it essentially caught, it opened the floodgates for a surge of unaccompanied alien minors from Central America. And more specifically, how, how that happened was this law essentially said, listen, children need to be provided counsel. They cannot be in detention for more than a certain amount of time. It essentially built off of the floor settlement that happened uh, years earlier. And for context, so this, this, this allowed for parents in Central America to 
allow their children to take the, this dangerous journey, mind you, of thousands of miles to the, to the U.S. southern border by themselves or with some sort of human smuggler with the hopes that these children would be released into their, uh, into their custody or some family member who lives in the United States' custody. So that's one of the things that it would close up. I feel like this should be a common sense proposal because, again, it's Preston, you wrote a, a blog about this a few months ago about how the treacherous journey from Central America to the U.S.-Mexico border and how President Biden's immigration policies are inhumane. They're, they're enabling this type of abuse that's, that's going on along this journey. Uh, another thing that I noticed is that, and I, I will, I do want to touch upon this later, is that reversing the Arizona v. U.S., which uh, gives states independent authority to participate in immigration enforcement of immigration laws, at this point where the federal government has abdicated its duty in enforcing border security and interior immigration, uh, interior immigration enforcement. It's really now up to the states and localities. I mean, we've been seeing this for months. We've been documenting this for months that you see, you know, the, the governors of Arizona and Texas and the border communities in those respective jurisdictions. They're stepping up to, to the plate to help out Border Patrol intercept these illegal aliens, stop drug trafficking. I think there could be there's a case to be made that re uh, reversing this this erroneous court decision will go a lot farther in terms of curtailing this border crisis. Another thing, too, is that when I was uh, reading this letter, I noticed that the there, there was a section on how these drug cartels are expanding their operational control of, of the border because of these policies. I mean, it's no secret that border agents are essentially stuck with processing duties. They don't have the time to, to go out and look for bad guys. There was a letter that was sent by the Drug Enforcement Administration on the last month, and in short, it was an open letter to federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies saying, hey, listen, there's an up, there's going to be an, a surge in fentanyl-related overdoses. I can't tell you how powerful that is, considering that most of the fentanyl that's brought into the United States is through the southern border. The, the administration and many congressional Democrats have taken a hard line when it comes to fentanyl being in the United States, and that's great. But what better way to get a, to get better control uh, of this illicit substance by just infor not only reinstating the things that they reversed at the beginning of the administration, but also building upon President Biden's predecessor's uh, accomplishments. I don't know. It's uh, it, it it's a little troubling in the sense that we're we're down to the point where we have to, I guess, walk him through. Like, here's what you need to do, even though the answer the answers are staring them right in the face. That's right, and and really, that's the purpose of this coalition is to say, look, you know, we're, we're talking about about organizations that have been in this fight for a long time. You know, this is a letter, you know, spearheaded by groups like the Heritage Foundation like uh, advocates for victims of illegal alien crime, like FAIR, like Numbers USA, mm -hmm. uh, like Judicial Watch. You know, th the list goes on and on. And you're talking about people who served as senior officials uh, under the Trump administration who understand the problem from from the administrative level. You know, we Chad Wolf, the former uh, acting secretary of DHS under Trump, Mark Morgan, the former commissioner of Customs mm -hmm. and Border Protection, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who who served as the acting deputy secretary of DHS and who for a, a number of months was working as the acting head of USCIS. 
NCIS. You know, these are all people who have been in the trenches, who understand the problem, and who are willing to help, you know, these these members of Congress craft a bill that is actually going to address the problem. Because, you know, there's a tendency among, you know, lawmakers to, to look at you know, the basics of the problem, but not necessarily dig deep into into crafting legislation that will address it. You know, um, and we include in this letter that building the wall, it, it needs to be done and it's great, mm-hmm. but that's not the only, right. that's not a cure-all. And we know that, you know, you can, I've said this, I think on this podcast before, where you can build the wall, you know, a hundred feet high, a hundred feet you know, deep and <laughs> 15 feet thick. But as long as the asylum laws that we have are still being interpreted the way that they are, it's not going to matter. Because as long as you have people who can come in and claim, you know, you know, reach a credible fear standard that's very low, <laughs> enter into the asylum process and claim, I, you know, I deserve asylum because I'm afraid of the gangs in my home neighborhood. You know, I deserve asylum because, uh, you know, because of domestic violence uh, back home. You know, these are things that cannot be solved by a wall or, or by, you know, increasing the number of Border Patrol agents, even though those things are important. And so what I think is the real meat of this effort is showing these lawmakers the changes that need to be made to asylum law in particular that will, that will you know, give CBP and give DHS and give Border Patrol the tools that they need mm-hmm. backed in law to, to turn away the, the waves of, you know, asylum-seeking illegal aliens. Um, and that's really important because it, without this guidance, I'm afraid the bill that we would see in the 118th Congress would just be throwing money to build the wall, which, again, that's that's part of it, but it's not the whole solution. Exactly. No, I, I think that when we talk about border security and immigration policy in, in a larger scope, there seems to be this fixation on the border one. You know, as you said, we support it, of course, it, but it's only one facet of border security and ensuring the integrity of our immigration laws. Another aspect that would help our border and our immigration policy and more specifically, our asylum system is re-implementing uh, Remain in Mexico, also known as MPP, and the Asylum Cooperative Agreements, uh, also known as uh, known as the ACAs, with Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries. I mean, again, we, we've been pounding this drum here at FAIR for so long. I, these arrangements were, were critical. They were so critical in preventing asylum fraud to the United States. I mean, I, I remember uh, speaking to, I, I forget his name, a colleague of ours saying that, you know, gang violence, domestic violence, you know, like, look, these are horrible, horrible things. But if you generally fear for your safety, you know, and you, you are unwilling to, so for, take, for instance, the country of Honduras, it is roughly the same size in terms of uh, landmass as the state of Virginia. You mean to tell me you cannot go from to one part of the country to another if you fear for your safety or if you feel like your country is incapable of protecting you? You can't go to a neighboring country that shares uh, the same language and Spanish, similar culture, and, and where you can apply asylum and be there for, uh, and remain safe. Again, these these policies will go a lot farther than a wall. And speaking of, of, of a wall, there's another, another thing I wanted to highlight here that's not mentioned in the letter. Uh, a couple weeks ago, CBP added on their website uh, a, a tab in there talking about TSDB encounters, essentially individ- foreign nationals who were encountered at the border but whose names happen to be on the terror watch list. And it was interesting because 
I want to say since uh, I want to say there have been 150 uh, terror watch list encounters since the Biden administration took office or in no, no, excuse me. It was in this fiscal year, fiscal uh, year 2022. That's how many encounters we've had on that watch list. And while that's all well and good that I'm, I'm glad that Border Patrol and other law enforcement agencies caught these individuals, how many got away? How many exactly, how many yeah. gotaways were able to slip detection and infiltrate uh, the U.S.? I mean, you many people may not care about the the wage disparities that occurred with an influx of cheap labor. They may not care about the societal issues, but surely national security should be a unifying issue that brings everybody to the table, saying like, "Hey, we need to secure our our, our border and double down on our sovereignty." Um, another thing, Preston. So. You've, you've talk, you mentioned earlier that there are other bills that have been introduced in the past, similar to the 1986 amnesty. There have been some congressional Republicans who have kind of taken, who've trying to, who are trying to emulate what happened in 1986. I know recently they introduced a bill that would essentially provide amnesty for a smaller group of illegal aliens, still large, but it would come with all the window dressing of AWOL and more asylum processing centers. I guess I'm answering my own question here. This letter <laughs> goes a lot farther than these propo- than this proposed amnesty by congressional Republicans. Correct. Right. Right. And and also too, you know, that's just what you know. What you described is the Dignity Act um, by uh, Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar, mm-hmm. uh, who is known as being, you know, probably the the most, you know liberal on immigration within the Republican Party. Very open uh, borders. Within, within um, House Republicans. She's very open about that, um, and she's talked about at length why she believes her Dignity Act is a better path forward. Uh, you know, we, we've always said, look, you're, you're, you're doing the same thing over and over again. That's the definition of insanity. <laughs> right. You know, if it hasn't worked, why would we try this again? Why would we do what failed in one of the Goodlatte bills uh, so many Congresses ago? Why would we do what we know failed in 1986? It, it, it makes absolutely no sense. And uh, she's doing it for, for political reasons and because she believes it's the right path forward. It's not. Uh, but then on the other side of that, you have other Republicans who have introduced bills that while they don't have an amnesty of any kind, they still don't go far enough. Um, right. You know, what comes to mind is um, retiring Congressman um, John Katko mm-hmm. has, has introduced a bill that the Republican Party actually, or I'll take that back, that the, Republic, the House Republican leadership, you know, discussed as possibly being a blueprint for, uh, you know, an immigration bill in the 118th Congress. Right. And, and groups like us have said, you know, look, that bill is okay, but it, it doesn't go nearly far enough, and it wouldn't really change anything. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's it's kind of you know just throwing money at a problem isn't going to make it go away. You need to get, you know, you you need to roll your sleeves up and and address the underlying legal issues that have allowed this to happen. It, it, it's not, you know, this isn't happening because we have a lack of border agents or because, you know, we don't have enough wall. Although, again. Those are our issues, but it's not the main the main root cause of the problem. The root cause of the problem is our asylum laws and the way they're being interpreted and the way they've been interpreted over the past 20 years. What we have proposed as a coalition would do more to, to fix what is happening at the southern border and prevent future 
crises from occurring. Um, you brought up a great point earlier talking about the migrant protection protocols. That was something that was put in place by the Trump administration to end the migrant crisis, the border crisis of 2019, mm. where we saw in the spring and summer you know, steadily increasing numbers. And at the time, I want to say there was 70,000 uh, apprehensions in one month that led the New York <laughs> Times to call this, uh, you know, the, the that they labeled it as a breaking point for our immigration authorities. Now we're seeing 150,000 a month, close to 200,000. It's It has grown exponentially, and we're still using the same tools to deal with it, um, except we don't have these you know executive actions that were put in place because Biden has gotten rid of them and the migrant protection protocols were were one of those uh, it's been you know steadily walked back because of court rulings against the Biden administration but they're eventually going to be able to to end it entirely even though we know that on the ground it worked when you disincentivize using asylum as a tool to get into the United States for economic reasons mm-hmm. people aren't going to come and the people who stayed and and were able to to proceed with their asylum claims were people who thought they did have a legitimate reason to come to the US for asylum. And and I want to emphasize too what we're proposing in this framework does not, you know, end the asylum system in our country right. at all. What it does is it removes the incentives for people to use the asylum system to get into the U.S. because they want to make more money, because they want to reunite with family who are here for, for a variety of reasons that do not qualify for asylum protection. And, and, and that is really what is getting down to the root of this issue. And those, you know, th- th- those are not things that are present in either the CATCO bill or in the Dignity Act that, Sa- that Representative mm-hmm. Salazar uh, proposed. And, and again, we're, doing all, we're, we're proposing to do all of this without even touching amnesty because we cannot even begin to discuss about legalizing people that have been here until we get the system under control let you know that that is we cannot even touch the the issue of legalization kind of said it better myself preston i mean we've we've been grappling with this issue for decades and decades and unfortunately Members of both parties, they seem to keep missing the mark on this. They, they, many members are so fixated on providing amnesty to the legal alien population here. And it's like, look, we need to be focusing on the problems at the southern border. Even if this border crisis didn't even occur, we still there were still issues to fix at hand there. Our asylum system. I mean, just recently, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, he came out with that decision about the about uh if there is an illegal alien who's in the asylum process but regardless of their criminal of, of their criminal history and they and their mental health is in question they're allowed to uh, proceed with the process of, of applying for asylum i mean think about that we're already dealing with an overburdened asylum system and now the attorney general is just adding is adding more problems to it i mean well ha- right and he's he's saying as well as that you can ign- not ignore but you have you are able to take into account an alien's mental health issues uh if they have a criminal record and and that is pretty incredible because there are going to be people who say well you know you know, he has depression or he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's a little crazy, he's a little schizophrenic, you know, any of these things. 
Um, and that may be why he, you know, committed, you know, stole someone's car. Um, you know, maybe we'll we'll note that on his record as he's applying for asylum or he's applying for, you know, to be shielded from deportation for another reason. You know, that that's a big deal. Uh, and and previously, you know, you weren't able to include these these tidbits, uh, and it, it's remarkable that 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 is a decision that Garland has. Uh, continued with. I mean, that's not something that we even necessarily give to American citizens if they've committed crime. You know, it, everyone sees it in the movies, but claiming insanity is is a very rare. It, it's a you know, it's a hail mary defense, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, not that this is you know claiming insanity, but but to to look at someone's mental health history and say, well, you know that. You know, these are things to be considered. It's like, I don't know what needs to be considered with that, really. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it's, uh, I have to admit, it, this, even by the Biden administration's standards, this surprised me. Um, and that's saying a lot, considering all the things they've done up until this point. Well, hopefully that this coalitional letter is is the ground, not the ceiling. This is the jumping off point. We have much more work to do, and we're going to continue to keep fighting that. Uh, with that said, I think that's a great stopping point for the day. For those of you listening, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We encourage everyone to share the podcast with your friends and family, and we hope you leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about FAIR, please visit our website, fairus.org. We're also available on Facebook and Twitter at FAIR Immigration. Until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.